my dear friends. Welcome to Virgo season. Welcome to the last podcast episode in the Hot Summer Nights series, Poems on Thirst and Desire. This is the last poem in this summer series, which every time I find myself feeling sad about the ending of summer, which is a favorite season, I think about how much I love fall and how excited I am to be on the East Coast where the leaves experience change. So that's to say that although I am sad to be recording the last hot summer nights episode, We will start up again in September with a New Beginnings series, which I am formulating right now. Information TBD. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite poems of all time, certainly one of my favorites to read out loud, which is called, I have lived my whole life in a painting called Paradise by Diane Seuss. And those with whom I'm quite close to have heard me talk about this poem. I teach it a lot in classes about landscape. But I wanted to have this be the last poem in this series because I think it looks forward into a different kind of longing. One that I think is seasonally in line with the way that we talk about fall or think about fall or at least the way that I do so we will look at Diane Seuss's poem I have lived my whole life in a painting called paradise we'll talk about it we'll talk about how to harness some of the power and magic of this poem in our own work and we'll wrap up this conversation about summer thirst don't worry Thirst is always seasonally appropriate. It just takes different manifestations. So even though we are ending our series on verifiable crush art, as it were, insofar as it has to do with the summer, I think you'll find that these conversations never really end. So that said, let's read... I have lived my whole life in a painting called Paradise. I have lived my whole life in a painting called Paradise. With the milkweeds splitting at the seams, emancipating their seeds that were once packed in their pods like the wings and hollow bones of a damp bird held too tightly in a green hand. And the giant jade moths stuck to the screen door as if glued there and the gold fields and stone silos and the fugitive cows known for escaping their borders. I have lived in a painting called Paradise, and even the bad parts were beautiful. There are fields of needles arranged into flowers, their sharp ends meeting at the center, and from a distance, the fields full of needle flowers look blue from their silver reflecting the sky, or the white lilies if the day is overcast. And there in the distance is a meadow, filled with the fluttering skirts of opium poppies. On the hillside is Moon Cemetery, 
where the tombstones are hobnailed or prismed like cut glass bowls, and some are shaped so precisely like the trunks of trees that the birds build their nests in the crooks of their granite limbs, and some of the graves are shaped like child-sized tables with stone tablecloths and teacups. Yes, I have lived in a painting called Paradise. The hollyhocks loom like grandfathers with red pocket watches, and off in the distance, the water is ink and the ships are white paper with scribblings of poems and musical notations on their sides. There are rabbits, mink-colored ones, and rabbits that are mystics, humped like haystacks. And at Moon Cemetery, it's an everyday event to see the dead rise from their graves, as glittering as they were in life, to once more pick up the plow or the pen or the axe or the spoon or the brush or the bowl, for it is a cemetery named after a moon, and moons never stay put. There are bees in the air flying off to build honeycombs with pollen heavy on their back legs, and in the air, birds of every ilk, the gray kind that feed from the ground, and the ones that scream to announce themselves, and the ravens who feed on rabbits until their black feathers are edged in gold, and in the air also are little gods and devils trying out their wings, some flying, some failing, and making a little cream-colored blip in the sea. Yes. All of my life I have lived in a painting called Paradise with its frame of black varnish and gold leaf, and I am told some girls slide their fingers over the frame and feel the air outside of it, and some even climb over the edge and plummet into whatever is beyond it. Some say it is hell, and some say just another boulder paradise, and some say a dark wilderness, and some say just an unswept museum or library floor, and some say a long-lost love waits there, wearing bloody riding clothes, returned for more, and some say freedom, which is a word that tastes strange, like a green plum. Pig has a lot of opinions about this poem. So you might be wondering why it is that this poem was chosen for a series on thirst and longing. And I think that that brings this conversation to a really interesting point of circulation, right? Which is to say that we have talked about desire as a concept and an idea, for example, in lowering the gaze. We have talked about it in relationship to another person and one's own sense of self within desiring another person, like in Jack Gilbert's Dreaming at the Ballet. And we've also talked about it from an ecstatic or via positiva perspective with Joy Harjo's Praise the Rain and the desire that comes in the natural world. But I actually think that this poem does a really beautiful job of showing the desire of self. And I don't necessarily mean in a way of finding oneself erotically desirable, although I do think there's some of that. I think it's about a love affair with one's own mind and the movies that one creates there. I think there are many ways to interpret a poem. I don't think there are any right ways, and that's what makes poetry wonderful and also complicated. But I do think that 
I don't get the sense that this is necessarily a physical place, like a specific physical place. I think of this poem as being a kind of landscape that one occupies in one's mind when they think about what longing looks like. And I mean longing, yes, corporally, but I also mean longing in terms of the what could have been. And I think that's the biggest love affair that we have, especially if we can think about it as a love affair and not as something that is a torture device. To live alongside fantasy, to live alongside an understanding of what we think of when we think of paradise, which is double-edged. Diane Seuss's poem, I think, really calls home this idea that nothing is simple, Nothing is through and through beautiful or good, but neither is anything through and through monstrous. I have lived my whole life in a painting called Paradise, suggests that paradise is something static. And I think there's so much moving imagery in here and so much movement in this poem that I think it suggests that the speaker is mistaken, that the speaker is coming to a kind of reckoning of sorts. I have lived in a painting called Paradise, and even the bad parts are beautiful. There are fields of needles arranged into flowers, their sharp ends meeting at the center, and from a distance the fields full of needle flowers look blue from their silver reflecting the sky. There's a lot of haunting imagery in this poem. We've got Moon Cemetery, we've got needle flowers, We've got even the way that this poem starts with the milkweeds splitting at the seams, emancipating their seeds that were once packed in their pods like wings and hollow bones of a damp bird, held too tightly in a green hand. There's something very clinging and a little bit violent about that imagery. And at Mood Cemetery, it's an everyday event to see the dead rise from their graves as glittering as they were in life to once more pick up the plow or the pen or the axe or the spoon or the brush or the bowl. For it is a cemetery named after a moon and moons never stay put. There's movement here. There's a kind of composting energy, which I think is extremely vital and fertile Not only in that it's compost and it creates something nutrient-rich, but also in the sense that when we are face-to-face with a kind of decay, we understand temporality and it ups our pleasure receptors. We are able to be more present and enjoy and appreciate because we know it won't last forever. What becomes static or what makes things static can be complacency can be a sense of something as a painting that is stuck rather than something that is an entire ecosystem. And then we have this introduction of other people from outside the painting in the penultimate stanza. Yes, all of my life I have lived in a painting called Paradise with its frame of black varnish and gold leaf, and I am told some girls slide their fingers over the frame and feel the air outside of it, and some even climb over the edge and plummet into whatever is beyond it. A 
Again, I don't think there's any one right interpretation of a poem, but this has always called to mind to me the idea that, especially in this day and age with social media and our faux or authentic perceptions of one another, standing outside of the frames of each other's lives, sliding our fingers over them and feeling the air outside of it, and sometimes plummeting into it, and sometimes staying away. There's so much in this poem. I mean, from a formal perspective, it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stanzas that are all five lines each. The lines are rather long. Um, I do have this poem in Still Life with Two Dead Peacocks and a Girl, which is the book that this poem comes from, but I'm looking at it on my computer screen now since my books are still in storage. But this book came out in 2018. The lines are rather long, and I do remember them being rather long on the page as well. It's very lush. It's almost like when you vacation to a very rainy place, like the Pacific Northwest or parts of the United Kingdom. You think it's so damp that maybe there are lichens growing in your pocket or you feel sort of the lushness of of the living world around you and this poem has that sensibility it's very dense it's packed with a lot of imagery that feels humectant and growing in a decaying kind of moldy way but also in a lush sort of fern filled way There are lots of beautiful jewel tone seeming images. I think of this as a very opulent painting. And even when we get to that penultimate stanza about the girls sliding their fingers over the frame, the frame is a frame of black varnish and gold leaf. So it even has an ornate frame around it. I think this poem really does a beautiful job of calling into question the blurred lines between authenticity and artifice. What is to say that the movies that we create in our heads are not authentic experiences of anything, really? And maybe this isn't quite a poem of longing in in the way that you might traditionally think about it, but I genuinely believe that one of the most erotic relationships we have is between ourselves and our minds because therein also lives our sense of eros and sense of intimacy with other people our sense of crush and part of the reason i wanted to have this be the last poem in this series before we move into september into the fall is because as we move away from the sun in the northern hemisphere which used to be something that would make me feel sad and give me a lot of hesitation. I like to reframe it as an opportunity to start to go inward. Catherine May wrote a wonderful book called Wintering, which is full of essays that do exactly that and reframe the colder months of the year as a mindset, as a a verb to winter. 
we're not quite in winter yet, and I'm certainly not going to jump over one of the most glorious seasons, which is the fall, but we have this opportunity to internalize our eros and re-engage with the electricity of our own minds. Some say it is hell and some say just another boulder paradise and some say it is a dark wilderness and some say just an unswept museum or library of floor and some say a long lost love waits there wearing bloody riding clothes returning from war and some say freedom which is a word that tastes strange like a green plum and if that's not the best description of the mind I don't know what is so my friends my invitation to you this week is to create a landscape that you think your mind is like is your mind like a jungle is it a tropical ocean is it high desert is it tundra what is your mind like and how can you cultivate its inner riches in order to create a richer more lusty sense of conversation with yourself and a place that you can engage with understanding the light and the dark the paradise and the decay I am sending you so much love from Brooklyn.